Chapter Nine of Mister Trunnell, Mate of the Ship Pirate. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Mister Trunnell, Mate of the Ship Pirate, by T. Jenkins Haynes, Chapter Nine. When I had a chance to slip back into the forward house, Chips had already cast loose and was in full swing. "'There ain't no use of telling everything one sees aboard ship,' he was saying. "'For you know when things happen on deep water, the world ain't much the wiser for hearing about them. There ain't no telegraphs, and the only witnesses is the men concerned, or the women.' The men may or mayn't say a thing or two after getting the run of the beach, but as the critters have to wait half a year before getting there, the news of the occurrence wears off and regard for the effects on the teller takes place. It's just as often as not the men keep mum. You know that as well as I do. This same Andrews as his forwards and irons was running the Starbuck with Jameson as mate. An old Garnet as second under him. You all know that old pirate. But this time he didn't have any hand in Andrews's game. Andrews wanted to marry the girl Jameson had, and when he found he had lost her he played his devil's trick. Jameson hadn't been married a week afore Andrews took him around by the foot of Powell Street in Frisco and set up some drinks. That's the last anyone sees of Jameson for a year or more on the West Coast, for when he comes to— he was at sea on that old tank, the Baldwin, and old man Jacobs would as soon have landed him on the moon as put him ashore. "'A pretty bloomin' mean trick,' interrupted the boatswain. "'The poor devil did have a hard time of it, for he wasn't a very fierce sort of chap. He were a gentle-spoken, kind-hearted feller, and you know well enough how a man what isn't made of iron would get along with Jacobs or his mates.' They hazed him terrible, and, as they were one hundred and seventy days and nights to Liverpool, he took the scurvy. You can reckon what was left of him afterwards. When he left the hospital, he was glad enough to ship on a Chilean liner to get even as far to the west coast as Valparaiso. He were aboard this Dago, putting in, when he saw the Starbuck standing out of the harbour. His wife were on the quarter-deck. "'That's the way with most women,' snarled the boatswain, interrupting. "'I don't know about that,' continued Chips. "'You see, after he had been gone a few months, and Andrews had been hanging around all the time, getting in his poisonous work, she began to have a little faith in the villain. It wasn't long before he convinced her Jameson had deserted, for he proved fair enough he had shipped aboard the Baldwin without so much as saying good-bye.' There were plenty of men to back him on that, including the boatmen what rowed them aboard. Finally, partly by blandandering and a feeling around, for the poor gal were now alone in the world, he got her to step aboard the bleeding hooker at Starbuck the day she were ready for sea. Then he just stood out and, and, well, after they'd been out six months the matter ended as far as Jameson were concerned. Jameson took the news hard when he got the run of the beach, but he was that kindly disposed chap, and went along the best he could until the war broke out. 
He were still waiting at Valparaiso when they drafted him into the Dago army, and he was lucky enough to be on the side what got licked. Then there was no use waiting there for the Starbuck to come in again, so he made a slant for Peru, as they never took no prisoners. Two weeks afterwards Andrews came in again for nitrates, with Gardent and O'Toole for mates. "'Lucky for Andrews he wasn't there,' said the boatswain. "'He'd have had his ornery hide shut full of holes.' "'What's the use of talking like a fool?' said Chips. "'Is shooting up a feller a-going to undo a wrong like that? "'The shooting was all done on the other side, "'and Andrews is sound yet and aboard this here ship. "'Some men think of other things besides revenge. "'Especially kind-hearted fellows like Jameson "'would never could hurt no one. "'As soon as some of Jameson's friends "'who knew of the affair told his wife, "'she went right into the cabin where Andrews was, "'and afore he knew what she were up to, she had shot herself. Andrews paid her funeral expenses and buried her in the little Dago cemetery out for inst the city gate. And Thin Garnet, who didn't know of his skipper's deviltry, swear vengeance on the husband who deserted her, for she war gentle and kind with the men forwards. Here Chips paused and gave me a sidelong look as he refilled his pipe. Then he lit it and smiled hopefully. "'They were a queer pair, them mates, Garnet and O'Toole,' he said. "'What one wasn't, the other was, and vice versa. "'They lay there two months loading on account of the war having blocked the nitrate beds. "'One day O'Toole saw an old woman come limping along the dock where the starbuck lay. "'She hobbled on to the gangplank and started aboard, and O'Toole began to chaff Garnet.' He warn't half bad as a joker. "'Pom me word, Garnet,' says he, "'I do believe your old mother is coming aboard to visit ye. But no, maybe it's your sweetheart, for you have an uncommon queer taste, you know. By the saints, you were always a bold one for the ladies.' We were lying in the next berth, not twenty feet away, and from where I sat on the rail I could hear them talk and see what was a-going on. "'Stave me,' said old Garnet, solemn-like. "'That's true enough. Sinker for a fool, though, to be a-coming down here to win back an old windjammer like me. What? You mean that old hag drifting along the deck? Blast you for a red-headed shellback, and do you suppose I'd take up with women of your choice? No, I never makes a superior officer jealous.' And with that he takes out his rag and mops the dent in the top of his head, where there's no hair nor nothing but grease, and he draws out his little pestiverous vial of peppermint salts and sniffs. "'Faith, and you'll need to clear your old head, you old rascal. You've been too gay for once,' said O'Toole. She wear a tough-looking old gal, and her hat-brim flopped over her face. O'Toole met her and pointed to Garnet. "'If it's the lady-killer of the fleet you're after, there he stands.' The old woman looked and stopped. "'No,' says she, in a sort of jangled tone, "'it's my little gal I looks for. She's aboard here with the captain.' "'You can't see her,' says Garnet. "'And you better get ashore, afore I calls one of them Dago soldiers to carry you off and marry you.' I could just get the glint of the old woman's eyes— 
Then she bent her head lower. "'It's... it's my little gal, I must see.' And there was something in her voice that made one pay attention. "'Twas so deep and solemn-like. I were listening, and a few soldiers of the army what was camped in the town came up and stopped and looked on. "'She were a good little gal, and I cared for her. Yes, by God, she were a good gal,' said the old one, hoarsely. I could see O'Toole turn away his head and Garnet sniff hard at his vial. "'Twas good, he used to say, for things in the head. Then he turned to the old woman. "'You better get ashore, old gal. She ain't aboard here. We don't take them kind on deep water.' "'I must see her afore I goes,' said the old woman, and her voice were a whisper that died away. But where so full of force, O'Toole turned to her. "'Was it Mrs. Jameson you wished to see?' he asked. The old woman nodded. "'Well, uh, Faith, uh, and she, uh—' And then he stopped to look at Garnet. "'She had an accident, by your leave, about a month ago. How was it you never heard tell? Weren't you here when the old man brought her ashore?' "'I come from Frisco,' said she. "'Well, I suppose you might as well now as never,' old Tool blurted out. She's dead, old woman. Been dead a month gone. The old man buried her decent-like, for, as you say, she were a real good gal, pon me word, for a fact she were that. Tis hard to tell you, but it's the truth, the whole truth, and divil a bit besides. While he talked, the old woman's head went lower, and when he finished, she gave a hard gasp. Then she stood huddled aforeinst the deck-house, and Garnet started forward to the men at work, Stephen the last of the cargo. All of a sudden, like, I saw her raise her face and spit a button from her mouth. Her eyes were staring and looking at the hill away off to the eastward of the town, and beyond to the great southern mountains of the Andes range. Then she slowly straightened up and walked with a firm step along the deck and the gangplank. The soldier men made way for her on the dock, but she looked straight beyond her nose and held her way firm and strong until she went out of sight, leaving O'Toole staring after her. "'Pon me word, Garnet,' he called. "'Tis a most wonderful thing, look. "'Tis a mother's love, ye haythen, pon me word. "'There's nothing else like it. "'See how the news affected the poor old creature. "'It puts me in mind of the time when I had an old lady to look after me.' "'Tis a rare jewel of a thing, and a man only has it the once. "'More's the pity,' said Garnet. "'Sink ye, but ye sure are a tough one to tell the old gal on so short notice. "'But ye never did have no feelings, ye bloomin' heathen.' "'Pom me soul, what could I do else?' "'Of course, tain't likely a rough feller like you could do any better. "'But when any women folks come aboard again—' Come to a man as is used to them. A man as can talk and act in a way they likes. A man with some ways to him. A man... Here he stooped and picked up the button the old gal had dropped. Where did this come from? he asked. She had it in her mouth, says O'Toole. Well, it's one of the buttons off a uniform that ain't healthy to be wearing around these parts just now. And then they both looked hard at the little thing. 
"'Do you suppose it could have been?' asked O'Toole. "'Been what?' says Garnet. "'Jameson, you blithering idiot! Jameson, the same as left his wife, a coming here hunting for her. "'Twas so for a fact. He had it in his mouth to keep us from knowing his voice, and by the same token I calls to mind the choking in his throat, the scandalous old woman he was. "'Stave me, but you might have been right for once in your life. So bear a hand, and let's stand away after him and catch the old lady and see.' says Garnet. They started off without listening to my hail, so I climbed down to the dock and follows. It was evening now, and the street was crowded, but they pushed along ahead of me. You see it were Jameson, sure enough, and when he heard his wife were dead, he went up that street like a man in a dream. He forgot all about his dress, and his face were hard set like a man thinking over the past. He had some five minutes' start of the mates, and when a poor beggar-woman spoke to him, he scared her half to death with his voice when he asked her the way to the cemetery. Then he remembered his disguise, stepped into a doorway, pulled off the dress and hat and flung them to the old beggar-woman, and went his way. Garnet and O'Toole came along a few minutes later and saw the beggar. "'There he is! That's him!' sung out the old sailor, pitin' to the old gal walkin' along wid her rags tied in a bundle tucked under her arm, for she had made shift to change them for Jameson's slops. "'Pon me word, you're right for once again, says O'Toole. "'Well, don't you go a-spoilin' the thing this time. Let me sail into him, and if I want yer, I'll sing out, and you can bear a hand and help.' Garnet swung across the street to overhaul the old woman, and came up behind her. "'Evening, old lady, I wants to have a talk with you,' and he lays his hand on her shoulder with a grip to take a piece of flesh out. She stopped and turned quick. "'Caramba!' she yells. "'I teach you to insult a decent old lady, ya Yankee dog. Help! Murder! Ya bloody rascal! Help! Help!' Then she were upon him like a wildcat, a clawin' and bitin', screechin' and yellin'. "'Sink ye for a bloody scoundrel, Jameson! I knows ye!' roared Garnet. "'Larry there, bear a hand! I have him!' "'Hold him, then, ye brave man!' sings out O'Toole, comin' up. "'Go it, old girl! Give it to him! Tis a leddy-killer he is for sure, pon me word for a fact. Claw him! Bite him! Even though he's as tough as nails! Yell him deaf, old lady!' Do it for his mother's sake, for the scandalous old rake he is. Get his ear in your teeth and hold on, for tis a leddy-killer you have in your hands at last. Wang his hide off! Wang him! Wang him! And I thought the old rascal would die of laughing. We were crowding round him to see the fun, and then the way that old gal wanged and lambed, and lambed and wanged, would have brought tears to your eyes. "'Twas too much for human nature to stand, and so away goes Garnet down the street as fast as his bow-legs can get him over the beach, with his sheets slacked off a-running free, and likewise, by the same token, away squares the old lady with her sky-sails set and everything drawn except her skirts, which she holds by the clues and bunts. "'After him! Catch the blackguard!' bawls O'Toole, rolling on the pavement, laughing and bawling. That old beggar was clipper-built, for sure, 
for wid her skirts clued up she were bearin' down fast on the old mate, and kept his bow-legs a-lurchin' afore the crowd a-comin' along in the wake a-yellin' and hootin' like mad. A man jumped out to stop him, but I knowed Garnet would never stop this side of the gangway of his ship, and sure enough, out flashes his hand, and the dago rolls over and over. They yelled harder than ever, and Garnet had to shake out another reef afore he could make the gangplank and get aboard. He managed to get below just as some soldiers rushed up. The noise brought Andrews on deck in time to get men to keep the crowd off his ship, as then O'Toole comes up. "'What's the row?' he bawls to the mate. But O'Toole was laughing so he couldn't spake a word. Finally he got it out. "'Faith, tis the lady-killer of the fleet, Garnet, at his old game,' says he. "'Pon me word, tis a hanging matter this time, for the damage he's done the sex. He were—' But he brooked down afore he could finish. "'Twas five minutes afore he could tell what had happened, the old gal cussin' and swearin', and the crowd a-hootin' and a-jeerin', but finally the skipper got some soldiers to carry the old gal away. Then out comes Garnet on the main deck a-smellin' of his little vial, but avoidin' of the skipper's eye. "'What the devil did you mean?' asked Andrews. "'Did you take her to be Jameson in disguise?' "'Pon me word,' says O'Toole. "'The first one that comes aboard was no other, and this one looked enough like him from a stern view.' "'Tis a bad trade, though, this killin' of ladies.' And he leered so at Garnet he swore horrible and went forwards. I were standing close enough to catch the glint in Andrew's eye when this were said, but he took no notice and went ashore, and as I followed after him he was thinking hard. Here Chip spat quietly into the corner, fingered his pipe, and rammed the ash down. Then he looked up at the light, and a different expression came upon him. The boatswain's smile died away, and all sat listening for the finish. Far forward sounded the cries of men dressing down the head-sheets. "'I hadn't much to do,' continued Chips softly. "'So I walked on and saw him stop at a flower-stand and buy a bunch of roses. I went across to the cemetery where the trees are good to look at, and the grass is green as the sea nigh the states. I hadn't gone far when I sees a man standin' nigh a grave with another man lyin' on it. I couldn't tell who the men were till I came close, for twas now gettin' dark. Then when Andrews stooped and lifted the head of the one lyin' down, I saw them both plain enough. Jameson's head made me feel sick with the horror of it. When I spoke, Andrews let the poor fellow sink back again, and as I stood alongside, I saw the flowers the skipper had bought, lying on the grave nigh the hand of poor Jameson, which still held his pistol. The old man said nothing, but there was a hard look in his eyes as I saw him looking at the tops of the big Chilean mountains, where the sunken sun made them a bloody red. He were thinking hard, and seemed to be watching a flock of vultures a coming over the range, stringing out in a long line of black specks. Then all of a sudden he stooped and picked up the flowers, and placed them gentle-like on the head of the grave. Twas the only gentle thing I ever know him to do, and then walked away without a word. That's the last I saw of him till I shipped aboard here, for he cleared from Valparaiso the next day. 
"'And this is the beggar we're taking back to the States "'to be skipper of some American ship, "'maybe the same one, "'if he gets clear of the killing of his quartermaster off Melbourne,' "'said the boatswain. "'And that's the reason by your leave, Mr. Rawling,' said Jim. "'I say it's best to go back again "'and deliver this man up to the proper authorities.' "'As far as I'm concerned,' I answered, "'I would just as soon see him safe where the wind won't annoy him. "'But I'm not the skipper, and if you want to get any satisfaction you'll have to go aft.' "'We did,' said the boatswain. "'We asked the old man, but he wouldn't hear of it, and Trunnell is with him.' "'Trunnell is with him because he thinks it right,' said Jim, with a shrewd look at me. "'But if you were to try to persuade him—' I believe it would come around all right. Why foal not put em aboard the English ship, sir? Put in the doctor. I votes we ax the old man to put em aboard her. All were agreeable to this proposition, and decided to go aft the first thing in the morning watch. Jim stuck out for going back. If you were to go with us, Mr. Rawling, we might persuade Trunnell, said he. "'It's no use. He never would.' Before we could continue the discussion further, the bell struck out loudly, and the boatswain and I went on deck for our watch. It was a fine, clear night, and I was glad to get the course from the mate and walk fore and aft on the weather side of the poop to enjoy it. End of chapter